Welcome to Raiders of the Lost Podcast, one of the fastest growing movie podcasts in the world, where we discuss all things film. In this episode, we discuss Stranger Things, seasons one through three. Hello, movie friends. Welcome back to the show. Anthony here. And James here. Today we're going to talk about Stranger Things Seasons 1 through 3 in anticipation for the finale of Stranger Things Season 4 Volume 2, which is dropping on July 1st. We will also be doing a Stranger Things Volume 1 of Season 4 before that drops. But we haven't really talked about Stranger Things besides like the first month of the show. We did an episode about Stranger Things and all the references and film influences of the conception of the show. Yeah, for any of y'all who uh, have heard our older episodes, it was not quite <clears throat> the same as we have yeah. it now. It was I like, recommend it was like not a, going back in thirty-minute episode, and we had just like different tables and what do we have? Just curtains, a curtain behind us, and then a plain wall. I think I was sitting in like a, a wooden dining room chair. Yeah, and we probably had like two beers out, and it was just. It was not quite the the level of quality we have nowadays, but it, and it's it was still a fun one to do, and we it was an episode that we got a lot of feedback on that helped us guide the show to a certain direction where we found that like kind of like joking about something that people love doesn't really work, so it's more to approach the 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 podcast in terms of loving something and celebrating it, whereas we were we were just kind of like nitpicking. They pulled this, pulled that, pulled that. And what I've come to learn is that the references of the show ended up becoming the strength of the show. Yeah, I mean, we love Stranger Things. We've been watching it since day one. We, As soon as every season drops, we watch it. Not the first day nonstop, but we watch within two days we finish the show because it's a really terrific well, show. Well, season three I watched in one day. Oh, yeah, because we were on trains and stuff. No, season three oh, I watched season in three, one day. I'm sorry. You did watch it in three, didn't you? Never mind, I lied. Anthony watched season <laughs> yeah. three all yeah, in one you're, day. You know, you're not me. I, not I live you're my right. life. <laughs> it takes me a couple days to get yeah. around to it. Um, but I'm very excited about the finale because I think straight season four has been fantastic. Every season has been really great. What the Duffer Brothers have created with Stranger Things and the um, homages and references to past sci-fi, horror movies, Steven Spielberg movies. It just really shows how much they love cinema from the past. And they're just sharing it with the youth of today and the world of today for a lot of people who maybe haven't seen these movies that they're referencing and giving callbacks to and were heavily influenced by. And this was a really a big thing for Netflix. They Netflix had this Stranger Things and they had House of Cards and The Crown. And I think those three shows really solidified Netflix's status as content creators, not just a library of licensed movies and TV shows. So when they started actually producing their own stuff, Stranger Things in those other two shows, I think, added so much quality to the app and gave people more reason to subscribe to their service. So you could definitely say... I would say Stranger Things is the most valuable property that Netflix has now that they don't have The Office anymore. So Stranger, end, yeah. Stranger Things for sure. Because The Office was their crown jewel. That Red was the butter. most streamed show ever. You I especially. I, I think was, you made up half of their streaming numbers. I'm still dealing with the loss of, of The Office on Netflix. And even though we have Peacock, it's just not the same. It's not, it's not the same as <laughs> going on Netflix. <laughs> going on Netflix. How is it different? It's different. It's not red. It is different. <laughs> Everyone knows it's different. Sometimes they're the Peacock. It's great because we do have Peacock. Sometimes the Peacock Office episodes have deleted scenes and I watch them. I'm like, what is this scene? I've never seen it before. Oh, really? Yeah. Like uncut versions yeah, of the episodes. 
episodes. And it's cool to see undeleted stuff. How but dare they? It's not the the real cut. It's probably because uh, NBC owned those deleted scenes, and, and Netflix never had them in their episodes. And so. I think a show like The Office and a lot of movies, it's not beneficial to add deleted scenes. It's fun for fans to see like extra stuff, but it doesn't always fit the mood of the story and the structure. Yes, I mean you are an Office like diehard. Yeah. So, so I'm always like, this is You're cool, very but particular. Anyways. <laughs> <laughs> Netflix needs Stranger Things because they had they did experience a subscription drop in the last are. three, four months. It's going down and down. So Stranger Things is their crown jewel right now. They put $300 million into this season and the production value for season four is off the charts. But the production value was always very good. Season one, it's still a very good season. It was really well made. And I think you can still you see the references that they're making clearly. Like I think Will going to the backyard with with uh, Steven Spielberg and E.T. Extraterrestrial is just so great. And I think that they just have a love for film, and it shows in the production quality of their work. And there hadn't been any kind of movie or TV show that captured what was captured by the great filmmakers of the 80s and 90s with their famous movies. I hadn't really seen anything like that in the, the last decade or so, and so... What the Duffer brothers tapped into was a love for this mashup of genres, a love for <clears throat> seeing ordinary kids put into crazy supernatural circumstances and something incredible, just like a, a little girl having incredible superpowers that are, are inexplicable at first. And so I think the Duffer brothers <clears throat> tapped into the nostalgia that not just people who grew up in the 80s and 90s had like us, but also... Those movies work so well because they're just great stories and they're entertaining and they tap into so many great storytelling devices that even young people who had never heard of movies or maybe heard of them but had never seen E.T. or like Poltergeist or Alien or or The Goonies, when they watch Stranger Things, they have the same reaction that kids in the 90s when they saw Goonies for the first time had. So I think it was... 1985. 85, <laughs> So it, I think that it's the closest thing that... Anyone has ever come to those kinds of movies. I completely agree. Now, before we continue, the best way to support Raiders of the Lost Podcast, besides using our coupon codes, is to become a patron at patreon.com slash Raiders of the Lost Podcast, where you get awesome perks like personalized videos, Patreon shouts on the show, weekly bonus episodes that every single patron has access to, as well as our $10, $25, and $100 tier patrons have access to our Discord. We interact on Discord every day. We have our watch parties on there. It's so much fun. Our $25 and $100 tier patrons also get their own custom episode that you get to pick and we do for you. Also, our $100, our $100 tier patrons are executive producers of the show and get a credit at the end of every main episode. We also launched our podcast masterclass online course. So for anyone who wants to start a podcast or improve their current podcast, our 22 chapter 46 video lesson course will give you all the secrets behind the scenes of our show. It's right on our homepage at RaidersOfTheLostPodcast.com. You can also see our source of content, merch, custom movie posters. Follow, subscribe wherever you're listening or watching. Hit the notification bell. Leave the five-star reviews. Thanks for tuning in around the world. Now let's get back into Stranger Things seasons one through three. Now I made a, a list of my favorite movie and TV references from seasons one through three. And these are references that are story-driven references rather than like they have all, there's like, hundreds of posters or items and memorabilia all over the show referencing movies and tv shows <clears throat> that list is just way too long to read out but i have a list of um you know character and plot device references that um the duffer brothers drew from that i think really 
are amazing to see when you're watching the show. So if you don't mind, I'm going to list these off. I, I, I'm on the list as well, so maybe we can go back and forth. That would be wonderful. That, I'd really enjoy that. So I think, in this, especially in season one, the biggest major reference to a movie is to Alien 1979, uh, Ridley Scott's movie. And it, the Alien inspired the upside-down's appearance in Stranger Things in the first season. David O'Bannon is the state trooper who claims to have found Will's body. That surname O'Bannon was taken from Dan O'Bannon, who wrote Alien screenplay. Also, Hopper examines an egg in the Upside Down that looks very much like the eggs from Alien, as well as the tendril found down Will's throat, all nods to the classic Alien. Then we have Altered States movie, which features a psychic character inside sensory deprivation tank as well, which we all know happens in season one at the end when the kids make a makeshift deprivation tank for Eleven to use to maximize her powers to go inside the Upside Down mentally. And then Jaws is another great reference in particular with Hopper. Uh, referencing Sheriff Brody from Jaws, not only are their sheriff outfits pretty similar, but I mean, it's just a basic sheriff outfit, outfit. but Hopper's truck is nearly identical to Sheriff Brody's truck in Jaws. Uh, in Jaws, Brody's truck, um, it doesn't have a cover over the bed, but Hopper's has a cover because they're in a cold environment, so it wouldn't make sense to just have the flatbed truck in. It's very similar, and I really like that homage to the character who clear, clearly inspired Hopper. The infamous anime Akira, uh, the plot follows a teenager with psychic powers who attempts to release an imprisoned psychic named Akira. Carrie, the classic from 1976 by Brian De Palma based upon Stephen King's novel, was a major inspiration for Eleven's story plot in this season, the first season of Eleven struggling to keep her psychic powers in check throughout the entire season. Also happened in Carrie where she struggled to contain her powers uh, throughout the course of that film. E.T., the extraterrestrial, you could argue is probably the biggest influence on season one of the show. Clips from the movie were also used as a, in a fake trailer the Duffers, Duffer brothers created to pitch the show. Uh, Jonathan, Will, and Holly's outfits were inspired by the three main children. Also, Eleven's dress and wig are just like E.T.'s. So this movie, this, this, this movie really influenced season one. The crew of kids, the bikes, everything, the egos, so much. Like they have this, not an alien that they've discovered, but this secret child who has powers that they're trying to hide from the world. Next up, there's actually a really great sci-fi movie called Firestarter. It was just remade uh, this past year. It came out a few weeks ago with Zac Efron in the lead role. But um, this film... Firestarter 1984 actually starred Drew Barrymore as a young girl who has psychic powers which involve the control of fire. And other similarities to Eleven, she's also tested at on by scientists in a laboratory uh, multiple times with government agencies. And they both have mothers who, while in college, participated in secret government experiments involving the intake of hallucinogenic drugs. Both Charlie and Eleven were born with supernatural uh, powers as a result of those experiments. And also in Firestarter, Charlie's father bleeds whenever she uses her, her powers. He uh, bleeds from his nose, similar to how Eleven bleeds from her nose when she uses her psychic powers. Next up, we have The Goonies. came out in 1985. We all know this classic movie that was directed by Chris Columbus or Rob, written, Rob, written, Rob, written by, by Christopher Columbus and Steven Spielberg. Yeah. I'm sorry. And uh, just a crew of kids that are on this crazy adventure, very similar to Stranger Things. Yeah. And uh, Nightmare on Elm Street <clears throat> has been a longstanding inspiration for the show, especially in the first season when the Demogorgon pushes through Joyce's walls, stretching the wallpaper as if it was made out of rubber. This is very reminiscent of the scene where Freddy Krueger pushes his hand through Nancy Thomas's bed wall. And then also season four, we'll just say real quick, um, 
um, Vecna is inspired by Freddy Krueger, his ability to not just, uh, it's not the dream world, but creating, like, he enters people's minds and can uh, create delusions for them. Um, so a very similar it's way. sort of like a dream yeah, world. Yeah, yeah, so it's sort of like a dream world of possessing them and haunting them. Yeah, it was Richard Donner who directed. Yeah. And Robert England even ha- plays a role in season four of Stranger Things. Great to throw him in there, and he's excellent in that scene. And then the exorcist, the mind flayer's possession of Will throughout the second season was directly inspired by the possession of Reagan McNeil in the film, including both children acting normal one second before shutting down emotionally, their pain connecting with their possessor's pain. And uh, Ghostbusters is a great reference in season two when the boys all dress up as Ghostbusters for Halloween. What's crazy about that is that Mike became a Ghostbuster. Yeah, in the, the irony. In the soft reboot. Yeah, yeah, it's really ironic. Uh, and he's actually really good in that movie. And so Will, so Finn Wolfhard plays both a uh, real-life Ghostbuster in Ghostbusters then and then a, a fan of Ghostbusters in this show. Gremlins, 1984, the Duffers have revealed the second season was influenced by the film. Dustin's season two storyline of finding and bonding with Dart, that little lizard, was inspired by Gremlins when Dart morphs legs and escapes the AV room in the polywog. The score playing mimics the theme of Gremlins. Don't feed them after midnight. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, War Games which was a great Matthew Broderick sci-fi teen uh, movie in 1983, uh, is the name of the palace. The arcade in Hawkins was named after the arcade famous in the movie War Games. And then some stuff in season three, Back to the Future, the film is seen playing at the Starcourt Mall's movie theater throughout the third season. And although they leave before the ending of the movie. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. Close Encounters of the Third Kind. I think it's referenced a lot in all the seasons. Um, one of the major ones is that Hawkins suffers through a brief power outage throughout the county due to the Mind Flayer's awakening. This is actually a reference to the beginning of Close Encounters when the entire town suffers a power outage once the aliens arrive at first. Uh, Die Hard is referenced in the Flayed episode when Hopper holds Grigori at gunpoint. Grigori says, you're a policeman. Policemen have rules. The quote <laughs> nods to the scene in Die Hard when... Uh, McLean says that when Gruber says, no, I'm sorry. You are a policeman. There are rules for policemen. Yeah, hold on, sorry. The quote got cut off. I was reading. Oh, sorry about that, guys. No, it's all good, man. And also, even just to bring up Gregory, he's obviously the Terminator, the Manning Tigers in the third season is based on the Terminator from Terminator 1, and, uh, the T-800. And there's actually another great reference to Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Richard Dreyfus is the lead actor in that movie, and he plays a, a father, family man, who becomes obsessed uh, when he begins to have a connection to what's going on in the middle of the desert. And then it, it's he's just going mad and trying to figure things out, and he, he like destroys his home to build like that hill that looks just like the one in, at the end of the film. And actually, they used him as inspiration when they were writing Joyce because... Unlike most of the cast, Joyce, in the, especially in the first season, is basically on her own, figuring, figuring things out by herself, whereas the other castmates, they're in groups together figuring things out. Um, and you can say Hopper's alone, but he's interacting in scenes with other actors. So Joyce was a big reference from Richard Dreyfuss' character in Close Encounters. The Fog is influenced the episode The Mall Rats, which during the Upside Down scene during Billy's Vision, the presence of The Fog in the Upside Down was inspired from the movie The Fog. Another great Jaws reference is when Hopper drunkenly leaves the Italian restaurant after Joyce stands him up. He he uh, t- he he wants to take the alcohol with him when he goes, and the the waiter says you can't do that. And Hopper replies, "I'm chief of, chief of police. I can do anything." And Brody says this exact line in Jaws. The never-ending story, 
one of our all-time childhood favorites reference in the Battle of Star Courts revealed Dustin and Susie often sing this theme song in duet. Don't they do it in season four too? Uh, yeah, they yeah. do it uh, in the first episode for opening. Yeah, but I love it because it's like during the climactic moment of the season, yeah. and like people are like nearly on the verge of death, and there's monsters attacking people, and then uh, then two are just singing Never Ending Story. <laughs> it's, it was really funny. It was a great moment during the climax to have a laugh. I think they inserted that perfectly. Now those are all the main huge film influences on C- Stranger Things seasons one through three. And the Duffer Brothers have just done a brilliant job of making this feel like a movie from the 80s and 70s, those horror sci-fi great films from those classic directors. Before we continue, I just want to give a quick shout out to Zabi for all of our Stranger Things merch. If you want to use uh, our coupon code Raiders at their website, they have a ton of Stranger Things stuff. Z-A-V-V-I.com. I got this cool varsity jacket. We'll talk more about it on our Stranger our next Things episode, episode yeah. on Monday. Yeah. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp Online Therapy. Check them out at betterhelp.com slash Raiders, our special link. The unfair stigma against therapy is finally disappearing now that people are concerned about their mental health more than ever. We get our cars tuned up. We get annual medical checkups. We go to the gym for wellness. We do chores around the house to keep it clean. Therapy is like all of those. It's routine maintenance for your mental and emotional wellness to prevent bigger issues down the road. Going to therapy does not mean something's wrong with you. It means you're investing in yourself to keep your mind healthy. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, photo, and even live chat sessions with your therapist so you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. Plus, you can message your therapist anytime. It's also much more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can start communicating with your therapist in under 48 hours. BetterHelp will match you with a licensed professional to help with any of your mental health issues. So you don't have to just stick to therapists in your zip code. You can find great licensed professionals online. Listeners of this show will get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash Raiders. Again, that's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com slash Raiders. And before we get into going through the seasons, how about we start with the characters and talk about like the main cast? That's such a great idea. And so you could probably say the lead character is kind of up in the air at first. It's either Eleven, also Mike, Hopper, Joyce Byers. Those are like the the main four, I would say. So how about we start with Joyce Byers? Who is the mother of Will and Jonathan, played by the great Winona Ryder, who we love so much. And this was just kind of just like a a resurgence for her in her career because she's such an icon of the 80s and 90s. Her career kind of just went away in the early 2000s. But she is back bigger than ever. And she's a great character, Joyce, who just loves her kids so much and is just pretty much every season just trying to solve these crazy mysteries. Specifically in the first season, where is Will? Finding him out that he's in the upside down, this this other dimension through her walls and communicating him with the Christmas lights and everything. So I think she's she's a terrific character who just loves her kids so much. She goes through hell in this season. She really does. She uh, and season two, yeah. Uh, she goes through like emotional, devastating trauma in the first every two season. Yeah. Well, I think in the new season, she's more of like a heroic character. Still traumatic yeah, experiences, yeah, yeah. like yeah. going to Russia. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but she did, she's a great actor, and yeah, her career did taper off after her big controversy when she was caught stealing and you know the press tore her apart and after that Hollywood stopped calling and I saw interviews with her and read interviews with her where she said you know the phone stopped ringing and people it's like Hollywood didn't want me anymore after that 
which is a shame because she's so great. And, and it was it was a, like a, a mental health thing too. It wasn't yeah. that she was like stealing to be a thief. Exactly. Just, yeah. 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 Now I think nowadays there would be so much more empathy for her, and she wouldn't have had the negative press and career um, destruction that she had. Uh, but now I'm so glad that she's finally back. And she was the biggest female star for about ten years. She was working with Easy. the best directors, Scorsese, Tim Burton, huge movies, and just like absolute icon. You know, dating Johnny Depp in his prime. <laughs> in his prime. <laughs> what a hot couple! <laughs> <laughs> As every time I go on Instagram, I see a photo of them. It's like they're still like still a, a legendary couple. I love how this conversation. Our show always goes from like talking about a female actress <laughs> to talking about some hot A-lister <laughs> guy. <laughs> but no, yeah, I love her and. What's really cool is um so especially with Joyce's character and the lights and the, the the letters that she uses to communicate with Will like in her home that become like came one of the like most iconic images of the entire show and a defining image for the show the lights on the wall and there's a couple other things I think in this show as well with Eleven uh, with the egos and just having a uh, interesting looking girl with the shaved head in the silly outfit so I think the the lights and then Eleven were two of the most iconic visual cues of the season that were really strong and people gravitated towards. And the lights are still really infamous. We went to a Stranger Things. They have a pop-up store yeah. in Los Angeles, and we checked it out. It was really cool, but, like, they have fake sets that they built, like, for you to hang out and take photos, and they have this the couch with the lights on the wall, so mm -hmm. it's still probably one of the most iconic images of the entire series yeah. is the couch in the living room with the Christmas lights on the wall with the letters. And it's those kinds of things that really add that <clears throat> the legendary status and what really connects people to a show and makes it really loved across countries and ages, things like that, this iconography. And then I think Eleven, uh, her, her, she was like the number one Halloween costume that year. There were so many people dressing up as Eleven that year, holding the egos with the with the jacket and the dress. And, and she was just such an amazing character to see in this show. I, I think Eleven, I would call her the lead of the show. Although it has become a, a pretty well balanced ensemble by now, because there's this, the cast is huge now, but it started out pretty small in the first season, and I think Eleven, Millie Bobby Brown is just an absolutely naturally gifted actress. She she can do anything, and she can emote so easily, and she really I think helped, was the glue of the show, the mystery element with her, uh, and especially some of the most iconic moments of the entire show even to this point are moments with her in the first season i think especially stealing the egos and then also flipping the car above her and the kids as they're riding the bikes bicycles being chased by the um, government officials i think those are just incredible moments and legendary moments of the show these and days. saving mike after yeah. he steps over the cliff from the bullies and then bullies are terrible in this show the demogorgon yeah. at the end in the classroom and she kind of fades away and at the end of season one you think 11 sacrificed herself but yeah. obviously we find out she comes back she was just stuck in the upside down temporarily and escapes at the beginning of season two also, just like the character of Eleven is really fascinating. This this child who was taken from her mother at such a young age and then put into all this experimentation to study her supernatural abilities and to strengthen them and improve them and to hopefully control them by Dustin, I mean, Dr. Brenner and his team and everything. Oh, another iconic image, I think, is her crushing the Coke can. Yeah, so many yeah, iconic images. That's for definitely sure. a big one. And, and <sighs> the character is really fascinating because it makes you curious to have things like this happen. Probably. Maybe probably Maybe. no one wants to admit it. How the pyramids sure. get built? I mean, all sorts of stuff like this has probably happened in all these major countries that have scientific that have budgets to do this. Kind What's of going stuff. on in Area Fifty One? What's going on in Area Fifty? There's an Area Fifty. I mean, this why is Area Fifty One? Is it just a random number, or are there actually fifty? I never thought plus about that. Areas. I never thought about are that. There, are there areas like no one cares about Area Thirty Two? 
the forgotten area. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the real secret stuff. So it makes you wonder and assume that things like this probably do happen. And uh-huh. Millie Bobby Brown is a superstar from the show, obviously. Then we have Jim Hopper, who plays the sheriff of Hawkins. And we he's a character <laughs> yeah. like Eleven that we're constantly learning backstory from every season. The latest season, we found out that he was in Vietnam making uh, napalm gas I can't remember what they called it, but so we learn so much about Hopper every season. You know, he has a daughter that he lost from to cancer, leukemia, and we find out in season four that it's because he assumes it was because of his work in Vietnam and the, the war. Exposure to the, the exposure chemicals. to yeah. the chemicals caused that's inside of him caused him to have a child that was going to have cancerous properties inside of her blood. And so his wife never like said it, but she blamed him basically for the death. And he's always blamed himself for the death that we've it took us four seasons to really learn that, which is really interesting fully. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, he he's kind of just like a little bit of a bum in the opening of the season. But because of the mysteries, he's really intrigued with what's going on. He's trying to solve all these problems, these issues going around in Hawkins. And he becomes a father figure to Eleven and at the end of season one and season two. We find out that he's secretly raising her in the woods after she secretly survived that no one knows about. So many secrets. So many secrets. <laughs> and then she he really becomes a father figure for, for her. He now has this like sort of love situation with with uh, Joyce. Joyce that's happening and that's really the one of the main thematic elements of season four and one of the heartbeats of the show is their relationship I think but Hopper all around is a fan favorite character yeah I love David Harbour he's, a, he's an excellent actor and he brought so much charisma to the character and I like the character because he's basically at, at certain points of the, of the show he's become like the action guy and he can he's a tough as nails and can handle himself but I like how he doesn't look like an action hero he just looks like an everyman. He's not like jacked and ripped and like super just like suave and put together. You know, he's 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 kind of a, a bonehead sometimes and you know, he drinks too much and you know, he's very like self-deprecating and he's clearly dealing with a lot. And I really like the approach to the character. This hero character who doesn't on the surface look like a hero and he doesn't, he doesn't initially act like a hero at times. Like at first when Joyce approaches him about finding Will who's missing, he's like He's like, Joyce, 99 times out of 100, the kid's fine. What about the one? What about the one? <laughs> what you said, 99 times out of 100. Yeah. <laughs> so I like that he's always, he's in, especially in the first season, he's like a reluctant hero. But then once he turns on hero mode, he is full tilt, willing to sacrifice himself to save others. Yeah, he's one of those characters, you put him in the right situation, the right motivation, he becomes one of the greatest parts of a story. Mm-hmm. And then let's talk about the crew, our Dungeons and Dragons kids. OG crew, the four kids. We have Mike Wheeler. Dustin Henderson, Lucas Sinclair, and Will Byers. Will is obviously the daughter of Joyce and brother of... I think he's the son Jonathan. of Jonathan. <laughs> son of Joyce, brother of Jonathan. You're always so bad with genders. You mix them up all the time. Not genders. Uh, uh, this is sibling status. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah sorry. <laughs> uh, Mike Wheeler, who feels like a, the lead of the show in the first season, kind of. It's because he and Elle have a relationship. True, but yeah. he seems like a leader of the, yeah, of of the, the Dungeons & Dragons yeah. crew. He uh, His family, Nancy Wheeler, Ted Wheeler, and his mother, Mrs. Wheeler, and then Dustin Henderson's probably like the most techie of the crew, and then Lucas is their other cr- uh, buddy, and so the four of them, they play Dungeons & Dragons in their basement, they're the biggest nerds at school, they ride around on bikes and everything, but they are just the most lovable bunch of goofballs in the world. They really make the show, and does the show open with their Dungeons & Dragons game? Pretty sure. That's, how, that's the first scene, right? Pretty sure. Uh, it was a really charming way to start the show. They're all terrific child actors, and they've grown into very good actors in the later seasons, and... It's crazy seeing them grow up so fast. It reminds me of like watching Harry Potter mm-hmm. actors um, growing up in front of our eyes. But I think that the four of them are just really sensational together. They have 
really natural feeling chemistry. And I'm sure all of these kids were very are very close off screen. Um, doing I'm sure all the press and just like basically living together while they film these shows. And I th- I think that really what makes the show work is just like those movies they're referencing, you have just a normal group of kids shouldn't be in these situations, but they are. And they they are like the least like least capable to handle these moments, but then they prove themselves to be more than capable. They are the most capable yeah. because of how nerdy they are. Yeah, what are you they, talking about? No, I'm just saying they're not like Trained well, kids, are trained soldiers. Like, how are you going to fight a monster? But you can from a argue dimension? because of their skill set and interests in life that sets them up to sets them up for success in all these situations. It also helps when you find a girl with superpowers. True, yeah, the superpower <laughs> girl is probably the main dr- <laughs> tool they have against the upside down for sure. Absolutely, I'll concur. Uh, then we also have Jonathan Byers, who is Will's older brother. And we see the connection with them is very strong, obviously, because of their father. Yeah, uh, and they're dealing with the same stuff, yeah. dealing with the same issues. And then Nancy, she's a terrific character, has always been from the onset. And she has slowly become an MVP of the show, uh, a driving force for solving a lot of the problems. Um, in the first season, I'd say the older teens have a little less screen time, but they still try to give them all a good amount of screen time. And at this point, Nancy is dating Steve, who is like the cool guy in school. And in this in this show, Steve is kind of like a, at times kind of an asshole. He is, but, but he's he, also got a heart. Yeah, he has a heart, and it, you can you can understand like why he destroys Jonathan Jonathan's camera because Jonathan's taking photos of him sleeping with his girlfriend through the window. Like that's I destroyed that guy's camera too. It's lucky that he didn't like beat him up with his friends. So it's understandable. But then he also like he writes that Nancy's a slut on the movie theater sign. So he does some pretty nasty stuff in this first season. And at times, he can be pretty unlikable. And I like how the experience of the season really transformed him into a more lovable character and a better person after he graduates high school. I think just because of the monster fighting bonding between all the characters, it builds something inside of them that they just are bonded for life through everything they've gone through. And I love Steve, how how much transformation he's had. Uh, played by Joe Keery and where he's come and he's such a fun babysitter character yeah, now yeah. but I'm glad that at the end of season four he was really starting to get his hands dirty and getting some action going and, and being a driving force for the plot going into the upside down under the water. Yeah I would say in season two he became a, a fan favorite for sure. Yeah but Nancy's always been I yeah. think a, a main character of the show because she's really kind of the main character of the older kids for sure and her mm. storyline with Barb and everything that was one of the main focal points of season one for sure at her her entire experience in high school yeah agreed and and then her being like an investigative journalist really had a lot to play especially in season three for sure yeah she's become a real really huge hero for the show for sure she's i'm saying she's the, the MVP, mvp of season four she saved the day a lot and she's really one of the best characters at figuring things out that's going on like her and dustin are usually like the one two punch of figuring out what's happening and what i really like about season two and compared to season one is in season one, we learn all these characters. We learn about them, their strengths, their their best moments and their personalities. And then what I liked in season two and three is the filmmakers were like, let's mix it up. Let's put these two together. Let's put Dustin and Steve together. Let's put uh, Nancy and Jonathan together. Uh, let's see how these personalities work in different group settings. And I think it really paid off in a lot of ways. Uh, and now like, Dustin and Steve has become like a running joke where Dustin is 
is loves being around Steve, but then Steve is just like always tired of being like he's like me and you again. Like we're always <laughs> paired together. I think they're setting up to Steve is going to sacrifice himself to save Dustin. Yeah, well, we'll get into that in our volume one review next week yeah, on yeah. Monday, so we'll save it for that. But I, I really love how throughout seasons one through three, they did mix up who's with who, and then eventually, you know, Jonathan and Nancy ended up being generally always together in seasons two and three, which is why I like how in season four they're completely split up. up. They're doing the same thing in season four, but, you know, mix and matching. Murray, I think, ended up becoming one of my favorite characters of the show um, by season two and especially three and four. He's hilarious that after he's also in Fleabag, he's very good in in that show as well. But I think he's super funny. He has certain skills like speaking Russian and knowing a little about about intelligence and espionage to help out here and there. But I think Murray has always been like a a recent character that I really loved as well as Max. And what the show does very well, I think, is they'll introduce great new characters that you grow to love and then kill them off just like Game of Thrones style. So we've had some great characters come in like Bob Newby played by Sean Astin. Who um obviously I want to be I want to hear about Sam the Brave. So really great character. Him and Joyce have a relationship until he ends up sacrificing himself, and well, he dies when he's helping them steal Will from the hospital because yeah. the Demodogs are coming and they have to get him. They sedate him because the Mind Flayer has taken over his body and control of his mind. So they're trying to rescue Will. And Bob Newby bites the dust when he gets eaten by that one of the Demodogs. That was a shocking scene. That, was, really that was. surprised me. I think, but they need scenes like that. They need to make it feel like anyone can die. They need to remind you that this is a serious show. You yeah. know, it's so fun at times that you forget how serious it can get. And the stakes. The stakes are really high in this show. And, and Hawkins is the epicenter of this upside-down other dimension just seeping into our world. And Bob Newby's death is a tragedy that so many fans still feel today. And because Sean Austin is just so lovable because he just has that natural, like, every man dad vibe lovable very lovable sam very wise sweet. man and sam wise and so when he's in the show you're like oh i love how they got uh sean austin in this and also it's a you know reference to goonies big time i'm sure that played a part in him being cast it had to have and also but otherwise he's really 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 great in the role but seeing him die was like oh my god like anyone's at risk now because we thought like he might end up being like a main cast member from now on. Two great characters that were added in season two are Max and Billy, who are step siblings from I can't remember where they same come father, from. same father. Okay, so they're half siblings. I'm sorry. And no, same mother, same mother, same mother. Yeah. yeah, you're right, same, same mother, same mother. So half siblings, not step siblings. I'm sorry. And they are terrific cast members. Max has stuck on to be a main character of the show so far in season four. She's one of the main storylines and driving forces of plot. And then Billy is a fan favorite played by Dacre Montgomery, who just became a heartthrob from this show. And he's just chasing all the hut moms and Hawkins. <laughs> Especially <laughs> lifeguard duty. Um, but I think that uh, he's a terrific character, and he ends up becoming a villain in season three, even though he's we, we see all the emotional trauma that he and Max have gone through, specifically him and his past with his father, yeah. and how it's seeped into his personality and self-destructive nature and violent nature. And But he's also very charming at times, and the mind flare possesses... Uh, Billy in season three to start taking over Hawkins and create his hive world army of soldiers. Whereas after he was sweated out of Will Byers in season two by Jonathan, Nancy, and Mrs. Byers because he hates heat so much in that sauna Can't scene. Stand it. But apparently they didn't realize that the the mind flayer stayed trapped in the right side up. I guess we can call it mm-hmm. the normal world, and he ended up finding a new host, which was Billy. 
And Billy is more of a he's more of an extension of Max's character in the second season, where Max is involved in the plot and Billy isn't really involved in the plot. She, he's more of just there to um, help us learn more about Max and what she's dealing with. And then I I thought it was smart to make him. Um, and he's more of a, he's you could say he's more of a villain. Billy's a villain in the second season, whereas in the third season he's the villain, but he's not actually. It's not his actions. He's possessed by the mind. Yeah, flare. he almost runs the kids over in his car. Yeah, in the second possessed. season, just yeah. a dick. Yeah, he's a terrible guy in the second season. Which also, it's a complex relationship between Max and Billy, which is why when he dies, it's 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 very difficult for her um, because not only does he die in front of her, but he also he he has a redemption moment where he sacrifices himself to protect the kids in the Starcourt Mall. So Billy does eventually redeem himself, even though he's such a terrible person in the second season. And also in the third season, you get to learn about his past trauma, having an abusive father, which makes you understand why he is the way he is and why he's such a bully, why he's such a a, a bad person to his sister and to other people. And so you, you really empathize with him. And then Robin Buckley is also introduced to us in season three, who is now a main player of the show, famously played by Maya Hawk, who is Ethan Hawk and Uma Thurman's daughter. She's terrific in this role, who works at Scoops Ahoy with Steve Harrington at the Star Court Mall in season three. And they bond very much over their interactions together, and they become best buds. And Steve admits that he has a crush on her in the bathroom, then she's like, Bro, I'm a lesbian. Sorry, bro. Sorry, bro. I like girls, too. <laughs> He's like, oh, damn. Well, that's awesome. Can we be, be best friends? And they become best buds. Yeah. And so I love how the relationship has grown in season four. And we'll talk about that, obviously, more. But Robin's a terrific character. She sounds just like her mother. So it's, it's you close weird. your yeah. eyes. It's the same thing with, like, John David Washington. You close sounds your just eyes. Like sounds Denzel. just like their parent. And she's really talented. Clearly, she got the acting bug from her parents. And, and Robin's become a fan favorite for sure. And she goes right into the mystery solving with the crew. She wants to stop the Russians in season three, and she's right on board right away. Extremely charming actress. She just pops on screen. She has so much energy in life. She's very infectious, her personality. And so, and she's a great addition to the crew. And I, Because I think they wanted to have... They definitely needed an, another older teen. Yeah. Because Nancy and Jonathan are always together, and so that means that Steve's just always with the kids. So I think adding... Another person his age really helped with Steve's uh, character dealing with all these circumstances, not being the not being the only person over the age of twelve. Exactly, and if he's not dating Nancy and he's not interacting with Jonathan, who's he really going to interact with? You can't have him with the kids the whole time. He needs another person his age to talk to and, yeah. and be friends with in the show. So really great character to bring into the mix. We also are introduced to Doctor Sam Owens in season two who after the failure of Hawkins Lab from Dr. Brenner in season one takes over Hawkins Lab, he, but he's kind of just as shady in a lot of ways where he pretends like he has no idea what's going on, especially with this rot and these crops that are being destroyed and how it's spreading, and the epicenter seems to be at Hawkins Lab. But we find out that secretly, he's even though he seems like a better guy than Dr. Brenner for sure, they are still trying to... Shut. They're still trying to close the gate, which they're keeping secret from the world at the bottom of Hawkins' lab. But it's still, it's about he's not as he's not like a villainous character like Doctor yeah. Brenner is. You but know he's what still I mean? he's still shady yeah, in a lot of ways. He lies. He's hiding a lot. Yeah, but I but like I think that he definitely he seems to be. Whereas Brenner pretends to care, uh, I feel like he really cares and hope he he wishes for the best for L. Yeah. You know what oh, I mean? for sure. Yeah. yeah. Let's get into Dr. Brenner. He's, he's still like a, a sketchy CIA guy. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Be there. But Dr. Are. Brenner is 
was the villain you could say of the first three seasons, the human, a human villain, but he's kind of turned a human into villain. a more of a protagonist in season four in a lot of ways, which is interesting. He's the Nick Fury of, kind of <laughs> season four. So Dr. Brenner, we find out in season four, we get backstory from him. Um, we, we won't really talk too much about it because the characters sort of changed. Yeah, man, this is not a season four Season review. three, he just seems like a really evil guy who's experimenting on these children and Eleven is his like biggest pet project, his biggest success, you could say. And obviously her escape is horrible for his program. And they're just trying to find her basically throughout these two, three, three seasons. You know what's really interesting about the Dr. Brenner character in like the lab and stuff is this because this is sci-fi and we're talking about, you know, telekinesis and, you know, supernatural powers. It makes it feel like, oh, this doesn't happen. But in history, Throughout every like major country and culture, like there have been doctors and scientists uh, who have experimented on people, experimented on kids, ran tests on subjects, and uh, like really like ruined the lives of people, ruined the lives of children, and a lot of that's been swept under the rug. And I don't, I'm not going to get anything to spin into anything specific because that's a whole other story. But this has really, this has happened. To children throughout history, you know, being experimented on for for different reasons in the name of science and learning things, which is terrible. So it's, this is actually not that far fetched of a thing to even put in a show. I mean, yes, it's sci fi, and I mean, is telekinesis real? I don't think so, but I think that it has the backdrop of sci fi built upon real world historical circumstances. Well, I think the LSD experiments are yeah, obviously that's hinted an example. at in the show, yeah. which that is what kind of creates supernatural abilities mm -hmm. of someone pregnant and taking LSD. Yeah. So shady. Like MK Ultra. So terrible, monstrous doctors and scientists have existed for a long time. Still doing exist, things I'm that sure. have doing things that have always flown under the radar that people in the public have never known about. We all know it's happening. Oh, it's happening. But how about we take a moment and head to our intermission and have some fun. Then we'll get back to seasons one through three of Change of Things. Sounds wonderful. The only thing worse than being in the upside down is not being groomed up for the right occasion. Our friends at Manscaped.com are the leaders in men's grooming. We highly recommend going on the website using our coupon code Raiders of the Lost at checkout. You get 20% off your entire order and free shipping from their website. Manscaped just launched their Boxers 2.0, which are the most comfortable briefs I've ever felt in our life. They sent us a couple pairs each, and they are exceptional. Manscaped also just released their Platinum 4.0 collection, which is their best deal yet and includes the following products. Their Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer, which we've been talking about for about a year and a half. If you don't have one yet, I don't know what you are doing with your life. The Weed Whacker Ear and Nose Trimmer. Ultra Premium Body Wash. Ultra Premium 2-in-1 Shampoo and Conditioner, Ultra Premium Deodorant, Crop Preserver Anti-Chafing Ball Deodorant, Crop Reviver Ball Spray Toner, Boxers, and a Shed Travel Bag. Their Ultra Premium Collection also includes deodorant, body wash, 2-in-1 Shampoo, Conditioner, Hydrating Body Spray, and a free set of Manscaped Lip Balm. Not only is it one of the best ways you can support our show, but it's finally time for you to get to manscaped.com and use our coupon code Raiders of the Lost at checkout. You'll get 20% off and free shipping worldwide on all your grooming needs. If you're a fan of movies and TV shows like Stranger Things, there is no better way to express that passion of yours than by decking your place out with a bunch of movie posters and, of course, 
the number one place to do that is at MoviePosters.com. They have a gigantic selection of pretty much every movie and TV show imaginable in their arsenal. All you got to do is use our special promo code Raiders10 to get 10% off your order today. They also have a huge selection of backlighting, framing, whatever your poster needs are. They got you covered. Our set is decorated with dozens of these posters, and we have them all over our house now. MoviePosters.com is also a great fit for the movie lover in your life as a present. There's no better way to express your love of movie and TV than getting your posters at MoviePosters.com and use our special promo code Raiders10 to get 10% off your order today. All right, Jim, are you ready to get into our intermission? Let's do it, bud. Why do I sound like a robot there? Let's do it, bud. bud. <laughs> Let's do our movie quote competition. You ready? I'm ready. I can't lie to you about your chances, but you have my sympathies. <laughs> Shoot, what is this? Oh, uh, man. Can you say it again? I can't lie to you about your chances, but you have my sympathies. Oh, man, I'm going to feel like a bonehead when I don't get this right. <sighs> you have my sympathies. I don't know. Alien. Oh, Ash says gosh. that to him before they completely shut yeah. off his brain. It was just his head. All right, here's my quote. <laughs> There's only one rule in the jungle. When the lion's hungry, he eats. The gentleman. Yes, correct. McConaughey. Movie pop quiz time. I think you'll get this. What movie starring a young Drew Barrymore was a major influence on Stranger Things and was recently remade? <laughs> Firestarter. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. <clears throat> okay. Well, what was your movie year? Movie release year. You skipped that. Oh, I skipped it. Yeah. I'll do my quiz. So that I'm we're, so, sorry. So we're, so, so we're lined up. I didn't even do the... For the movie release year, I did another trivia question. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, I'll do my year, and then you can, then do the next quiz. All right. right. So, about a boy. What movie... What year did it come out? 2000 and... 7. 2002. Two. Wow, it's that yeah. old. Damn. Um, Nicholas Holt plays a little kid. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. I did a Hugh Grant trivia section this, this um, week. Actually, so my, my movie release year, I can. Okay, let's hear it. But I also want to hear your other trivia question while you have well, it. Well, this was, it, so I can change it to the, guess the year. I think I'd rather hear the trivia question. Okay. Qu quizzes, or, yeah, let's go. Before he directed Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, in 1999, Chris Columbus directed a movie starring Robin Williams. What was the movie? <clears throat> 1999, it was Mrs. Doubtfire. No, that was wait. No, that 94. was yeah, I, yeah. Hold on, ninety nine. Robin Williams, ninety nine, ninety nine. <sighs> Let me know if you want a hint. Um, I'm gonna say, is it Patch Adams? No, <laughs> no. I don't know. Bicentennial man. Oh, I am a you man. <laughs> and Columbus also did um, Mrs. Doubtfire. Yeah, he did direct Mrs. Yeah. Doubtfire. Absolutely. Um, oh, my quiz question. Yeah, your quiz question. How many Guy Ritchie, movie, Guy Ritchie movies has Hugh Grant starred in? Ooh. And they don't have to have been released already. Um. So how many Guy Ritchie movies? And can you name them for extra credit? Name them. That's 
like he's so he's been in the last two. Man from Uncle. Yes. So it's three. What 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 a. So the so the gentleman. Three's the man, correct. Yeah yeah yeah. The gentleman, the man from Uncle, uh-huh. and um. <laughs> Wrath of Man. No, no no not Wrath of Man. It's not out yet. It hasn't been released in America yet. Oh, what's the new one called? Um, Operation Fortune. That one. Yeah. Good. Good job. Thanks. Three's correct. Thanks, man. I think he's gonna be showing up in a lot of his movies from now on. Seems they like seem to have new, a good rapport. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, our Godfather Patreon shout out for today's episode is our friend Isis Gomez. Isis, Isis. She uh, has been a fan of our show for a long time. Always interacting with us on social media and Instagram, and she just joined our Patreon as a Godfather patron. Can't we, believe that. We appreciate you so much, Isis. It really helps us keep the show running full-time so that James and I can just do the podcast and not have to get other jobs. So we appreciate all of our Godfather patrons, as well as you today, especially Isis. And Isis's pick for a review is Big Fish. Oh, Tim awesome Burton's choice. Film. It's one of her favorite movies. I love that movie. Yeah. It's really great. Yeah, it's really underrated. Um, I love Ewan McGregor in it, and it's a really fantastical, wonderful, colorful film. Yeah, the most colorful Tim Burton film ever made, probably. Yeah. <laughs> it's very it's very underrated, absolutely. And Helena Bonham Carter's in it. Danny DeVito's great in it. Excellent cast. Great imagery. So, Excellent choice, Isis. Thanks again so much for becoming... You became a Godfather patron today. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Who's our hater of the week? Or haters unsubscribed? We have some unsubscribes. Who we got? <clears throat> These are good ones. They better be. <laughs> so uh, you posted that Grant Kustin meme um, with him crouched down next to the tombstone. And it was like Ezra Miller in both the tombstone and the coffin. Yeah, yeah. Where he's doing the peace sign. Yeah, and then Curtis Art wrote, that's not Ezra Miller. That's Grant Kustin. Shaking my head unsubscribed. <laughs> and then in a Top Gun I think clip. It's Gustin. Gustin? Yeah. yeah. Probably. And in a Top Gun clip where you talked about the pilots and all of their duties while in the cockpit, uh, Stephen Michael Wick wrote, What, they weren't flying the jets? That's it. Unsubscribed. <laughs> JK, I love the podcast. So thanks for the uh, unsubscribes. We also got a little hate today from. A clip you uh, posted about Jurassic Park. We're, we're, we're kind of roasting the movie a little bit, just in good fun. And then someone took it a little person. I don't want to name them, but like they were, they said uh, it's a movie about dinosaurs. Relax, guys. And I was like, I mean, we're just we're allowed to make fun of it. We made a billion. It's making a billion dollars. So yeah, we had some fun. Yeah, just a joke. Just yeah. a joke. Just jokes. No big deal. Um, podcast uh, supporter of the week. We have a great five star review from CRB Barber. And they wrote daddies as the title. <laughs> you guys are the greatest. I have been so inspired by you guys that I have just started my own podcast oh, following wow. in your footsteps. Thank you for all the inspiration and all you do. That's amazing to hear. Congratulations and good luck on your show. Yeah, that's awesome. I'm so happy to hear that. Um, uh, You're our competition. <laughs> <laughs> that's a There Will Be Blood no, no, reference. No, it's not like yeah, that. Yeah, it's a There Will Be Blood reference. Like I know sign. Uh, on this day in oh, film okay. history. <laughs> Today's June 23rd. In 1989, Batman premieres, and also Honey, I Shrunk the Kids is released. In 1995, Pocahontas is released. In 2000, Chicken Run is released. In 2004, White Chicks is released. In 2006, Click is released. 2010, Night and Day is released. In 2011, Transformers Dark of the Moon premieres. In 2017, The Big Sick is released. In 2021, Old is released. Happy birthday to Francis McDormand, Selma Blair, Joel Edgerton, and Hewan Jung. You know, Night and Day, I think, is the only Tom Cruise movie that I don't really like. 
The only one? Yeah. Yeah. I I, I watched I tr- I watched it like a few months ago. I put it on. I was like, I, I don't like it either. I never saw it. I was it's, like, oh, it's, 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 and then I put it on in like within forty minutes. I was like, I'm not really feeling this. It's a little underwhelming. Yeah, not really feeling. I think it. they they just it just wasn't that great of a script. Yeah. Even Tom doing cool motorcycle stuff couldn't still save wasn't it. enough. Yeah, it was actually a lot of CGI too. Yeah, quite a lot. My streaming recommendation for this episode is Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, which is on HBO Max right now. I picked White Men Can't Jump. It was just added to Amazon Prime, classic, uh, and watch it before they make uh, the reboot, remake, uh, origin is, story. It's gonna be a TV show. It's gonna be a movie. Oh my god! Yeah, it's such a it's a can't we can't remake White Men Can't Jump. You can't do it. The problem is that the movie it's Woody Harrelson and and Wesley Snipes like they make the movie. You know, it doesn't really matter. I mean, the story it's not like it's an amazing story. It's like the actors and Rosie Perez they make the movie, not the story. You know what I mean? It's a great story. Yeah. It is, it is a great story. All right. That's a classic. I'm disappointed they're remaking it because it's perfect. I think it's going to be an origin story. Let's head back into seasons one through three of Stranger Things. How's that sound to you, pal? That sounds wonderful. I actually have some cool fun facts about Stranger Things if I could just Let's run hear it. Them. Yeah, I love fun facts. So over 1,000 kids auditioned for this show. The production company auditioned 1,000 213 child actors for the show, 906 boys and 307 girls. Gaten Matarazzo, who plays Dustin, was signed up immediately after the casting directors watched his audition on tape. Let's see. Stranger Things was also almost called something else. The show was originally going to be called Montauk, a town in which some people believe the government conducted psychological experiments. Later on, the rural fictional town of Hawkins, Indiana, became the setting for the supernatural storyline and is now the home base of all this creepy stuff. It would have been called, I'm sorry, what? Montauk. Mon- yeah, it doesn't have a ring to it. It doesn't. Stranger Things is a great name. That that sells the show, honestly. It's a great name. Brilliant. The same goes for The Upside Down, which was originally going to be called The Nether, which sounds a bit like Netherlands, but has nothing to do with our European neighbors. Mm-hmm. Let's see. Indiana Jones also inspired Chief Hopper's hat. The actor David Harbour insisted on wearing a wide-brimmed hat to look just like the archaeological hero. The hat is called a fedora and makes the wearer look a thousand times more heroic, for sure. That's he, a scientific fact. He also grabs it in season two when he's trapped in the tunnels and he's being rescued. Um, he grabs the hat just like Indy does before the door falls down on him uh, just at the last second. And it was just a, a great little nod to the movie. Quite a few people watched Stranger Things season two in one day. Netflix re- revealed that 361,000 people streamed the entire season in 24 hours. Wow. When Stranger Things 3 was released, 19.17 million people watched the first episode the day it was released. So a lot of people binged the heck out of this show. Yeah, I, I remember I binged season three in one one day. It was an entire day. Finn Wolfhard famously filmed his audition tape for Stranger Things while he was in bed. And he nailed it because he wasn't feeling well, but he still got it done. <laughs> He's a cute kid. <laughs> um, let's see what else there are. The so, Yeah, let's just move on. Let's move the hell on. Yeah, let's move on. Uh, where were we at when we left off? I can't remember. I can't but remember. I'll just, I'm going to say something that I think they've done a really great job from seasons one through three and four. Um, of showing the progression of, you know, growing up with the kids and aging into adolescence. And I like how in season three, 
the boys are like obsessed with girls and everyone's like got a girlfriend or like they're chasing a girl except for poor Will. He's kind of left uh, in, uh, alone half the time. He even gets made fun of because he doesn't like girls. Yeah, and also like he's trying to play D&D with the kids and then they all run off to like go see their respective girlfriends. Because the other three, so Lucas has Max and then Mike has L. And then Dustin has um, what's her name? I can't remember who lives. Uh, Susie. Susie. And so the, Will is kind of left on his own. But I do like that. You know, at a certain age, teenagers get like that dating fever, and they're like, "Oh, I want to." Uh, they they're starting to get into the older relationships, and you know, after being scared of the opposite yeah, sex exactly. for your entire life. <laughs> yeah. So I think they've done a great job of progressing the aging of the kids and their interests as well, and also like Lucas being a wanting to be a basketball player in season four. So things change as you grow up. You don't always have the same interests from when you were eight years old to 14 years old. So I think they've done a really great job, solid job of that, as well as the older characters, the older teens. Um, they've changed as well. Jonathan, you could say, was kind of just like, you didn't really know what he was into, but then by the season two and three, he has an internship at the paper as well with Nancy. And then Steve has just like, kind of lost his coolness he's he was the king of his high school and now he just works at a, an ice cream shop he doesn't really know know what to do with his then life the video store yeah then the video store so i like how steve harrington went from the king of of school to being just like a normal adult who really is kind of lost like, <laughs> when you because when you get out of high school everything's reset in what happened in high school doesn't really matter uh in terms of you being an adult in the real world now mm-hmm. things change in terms of character arcs, Will has had probably the most traumatic besides Eleven in terms of like what he's gone through in the first three seasons. Then we'll talk about season four in the next episode, what yeah. he's going through there. But he's clearly just been through hell and back so many times. He's the the first episode of the entire show is really great, and you know that's this, that's the episode where Will gets captured by the Mind Flayer or the Demogorgon. He's inside. I mean, captured by the Demogorgon put into the upside down mm-hmm. that great reference to et running into the shed and everything and he spends pretty much that whole season in the upside down and then season two he's dealing with seeing the visions of the mind flayer and everything like being that possessed. being yeah. possessed and having to get the mind flayer sonnet out of him yeah. and so he's just gone through so much and then now seasons season four where he's he's basically kind of going through emotional trauma not just like physical haunting trauma but the emotional trauma of wanting to be with his friends again but he's kind of being left behind so he's gone through a lot this show yeah he's also that, that actor is a very good actor and he's he, he really pulls no, a through. snap yeah because like the possession that stuff's kind of hard to pull off i would say in terms of just the acting that the other kids have to do he had to do quite a lot in comparison and they're all great but he they really put him through through, through the motions in those two seasons. And something that happened from seasons two through three that was different from the from season one. So season one, everyone loved it. And every lo- everyone loved every aspect of it. I can't think of anything bad to say about it or even remembering anyone saying anything bad about it. But then season two, then you got you started to see criticisms with the approach the Duffers were taken. And then also with season three, they changed things. So... What they've done each season is they've kind of taken into account issues that fans have with the show. I think the biggest thing in season two that fans and even myself had with the, sh- with the second season was um, the character Kali and her friends, uh, number eight, as well as Elle's like, superhero outfit. 
And then these are things that they just eliminated for the future seasons that we never see again, except for like one flashback when Ella's a little kid and little Collie's there with her. And I just don't think that I think the crew, the the crew of like robbers and like people in Collie and her friends who are getting revenge on people who wronged them in Chicago. In Chicago, it did not fit at all the tone that they established with the show. And and so when Elle was there, and I, I understand Elle was trying to grow as a character, and I, it's a it's a decent idea, but I think the approach and the tone and the style they took with it didn't really suit the show, and it felt like a different, a completely different story. Also, that that group of uh, friends of colleagues, they seemed like they were from a different movie. Like, and if it, it seemed like, what's that punk movie with um, Matthew Lillard? Um, something punk. You remember that movie? Yeah, yeah. It felt like they were characters from that movie put into Stranger Things, and it didn't really, it didn't feel right. And also, Elle with her superhero outfit, the black jacket, slick black hair, and the eye makeup, it didn't really, it, it didn't fit the character. And I think that might have been what the Duffer brothers were planning for her. Like, this is what she looks like when she's fighting um, the bad forces. I'm sure that might have been their plan for something that we would see regularly occurring in the future seasons. But it got a lot of bad feedback from fans. I didn't really like it that much. Um, and so I think the Duffer brothers took into account the moments of season two that fans didn't like. And they, they just kind of pretend, like moved on from it. Which I think was a smart decision. Season three, you don't see Kali again. You don't see that crew again. And then Elle never puts on that superhero garb that she does at the finale of season two. Yeah, no one wanted that, it seemed like. Yeah. And I'm glad it was just one episode that it snuck in there at the end, of, near the end of the season. And it kind of makes me wonder if that's why they're doing this delayed release of volume two. Because don't you think if they were going to do separate volumes, they would do, here's four episodes here, here's four episodes here. But they did seven episodes then two episodes. I'll tell you two. why. But I think it seems like they're watching what everyone's saying. They're kind of maybe, maybe they shot a lot of different sequences and things and they're trying to trim it up to make it seem nah. like it's it's the best version of the show. No, I'll tell you why. I tell think me, man. They don't want people to subscribe to Netflix for one month and then delete it once they watch the show. Oh, never mind. You're right. <laughs> so they want people to at least be subscribed for at least two months. That is that is correct. So Because otherwise, that's why we signed up for Netflix Sign up again. for Netflix, binge Stranger Things and then delete it. So they and people are more like so if you take like a hundred people say like a thousand people sign up for Netflix, uh, and they they know they only want to binge the show, most of them when the show's over they're going to cancel the subscription. So then Netflix only gets them for one month. But then there's going to be a number of people who completely forget about the subscription, and then they'll just keep Netflix. And then like eight months later they'll be like, oh yeah, I still have my Netflix subscription. And then there are people who will keep the Netflix sub subscription because they're like, oh I have Netflix, might as well keep it for a little bit. Um, and so they want to eliminate the people who delete the subscription right away once the show is over. That's my guess. I don't I think, think you're 100% I think right. they're I think they have everything's in the can. I think there's nothing changing about the final episodes. They just want to keep people subscribed for another month. Yeah, you're absolutely right because I we had unsubscribed unsubscribed unsubscribe from Netflix like 4 or 5 months ago because they have they just have just been dwindling in terms of like their movies they have and yeah. their original shows just aren't that great. So I made a Netflix account for our Discord for watch parties to make it easy for streaming and to because certain movies are on Netflix and then I was so then I was browsing through Netflix for like an hour to add things to my list 
I added like three things to my list and I was like, I really, that they had a library of content is not really that desirable now. Not anymore. anymore. Yeah. Yeah. So I literally just re-downloaded it or resubscribed. Resubscribe for Stranger Things, and uh, they're gonna get me for two months. Yeah, so that's why I, there's a lot of rumors like, oh, they're changing things, and they're they want, like you just said, they want to yeah. tweak the edit. Now everything's like everything's idiot. done. You don't sound like an idiot. You're but right, but they're they're not gonna. That's why they want two months of subscription for those people who were planning to eliminate it, and then maybe I think also. The more people that are subscribed for two months, maybe even some of the people that would have deleted it after the first month, maybe they'll be like they'll they'll not delete it after the second month. Be like, yeah, I have, I have Netflix. Like, why not? Why not keep it for a little bit? So that's yeah. why. But I do like how they listen to their fans and they just scrapped Kali and number eight and the entire Chicago storyline because you're right, they kind of just did force that down our throats and no one wanted that yeah. at all. And then the thing they changed in season three after learning about criticism, in season two. I think Chris season two is the highest criticized season. Yeah. Um, because the end, I thought it was a, a pretty good ending where L closes the gate and then Hopper's defending them from all the Demogorgons and Demodogs attacking the thing they're hanging from. Um, but also it's just that the season ended the same way the last season ended with L just pushing her hands out and using her powers to do something. And so that was another criticism that fans have with the show. And so in season three, they listened to that and they're like, you know what? Let's get rid of L's powers. And it was really smart because the mind flare, it like connects to her leg for a minute. And then uh, that somehow d- uh, eliminates her powers. And well, so, she's very weakened too. Very so weak as well, She's weakened yeah. from the battle with yeah. the mind flare inside the cab. And then also there's the little slug guy that's stuck yeah. inside of her. So they cut that out of her. So she's yeah. just so weakened. She hasn't completely lost her powers yet. But by the end of that episode, when we're in the prologue, she has no powers. Yeah, but so I thought it was smart to make her powers useless when the giant monster attacks them. So... Yeah. It was a great way it's to about have the kids fighting the, the team. monster. The team is finding a way to solve things rather than just L using her powers again. So I thought that was a great decision by the Duffer brothers to be like, you know what? Fans are right. Let's not have L do it the same way to solve the problem again. Same ending, same conclusion. Let's get this huge cast of ensemble characters to figure out a way of defeating this monster together. So I think that's another way they once again listen to their fans and it benefited the show. Plus, not only do they have the Mind Flayer as a great villain in Season 3, but they also have an even better villain, you can argue, maybe the biggest bad of the entire show, which is Puberty. <laughs> I thought you were going to say Vecna. <laughs> Vecna. Vecna has nothing on puberty. But I like how they're going. Puberty comes the, for all. The kids are getting older. You yeah. know, so we saw the same thing in Harry Potter. Any big long-term castmates aging in a show or, or movie, yeah. you got to address it. And they're, they're, they've been doing a great job addressing it. Yeah, and, and season three, I think, had uh, two huge movie references that the plot of the story hinged on. And we're influenced by. So first of all, you have Fast Times at Ridgemont High with the mall. 100%. Absolutely. So fun. And the mall is a major player. It's where the kids go. It's where a lot of things happen. It's where Steve works. And also it's where the finale confrontation happens. And that's where the Russians are underneath the mall, opening the gate up during their experiments. Yeah. So I love how they really tied Fast Times at Ridgemont High into the season as well as Jaws. In season three, you have the corrupt mayor. Also, it's summertime. Instead of it being like a beachfront town uh, for the summer, it's a, they have a carnival setting for get, getting money in, into the economy of the town. So uh, I I really love how they put in, really injected Jaws and Fast Times into season three. And the corrupt mayor because he sold land to the Soviets, which yeah. is just how they're underneath the mall doing all that. But also 
I would say the main horror movie that is influenced yeah. for season three is probably Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Absolutely. Great, great horror movie from the 70s starring Donald Sutherland, Kiefer Sutherland's father. If you guys haven't seen it, I highly recommend checking it out. But it's it plays into the whole possession, hive body, hi, uh, hive mind creating like an army of aliens or beings. And it's it's really terrific. So basically that concept is with Billy and the Mind Flayer because Billy is the new host. Yeah, and the best scene to illustrate that connection to the movie is when the kids suspect Billy when Elle um, looks at him through her mind and sees that he's like doing some, something sketchy. And then they go to see him and he's with his the girl who he just possessed in – uh, her the girl's parents and everything seems like way too normal. Billy's being very nice and it's just very strange. And then when the kids leave, both Billy and the girl kill her parents gr- gruesomely. And it, it's a terrific scene, one of the best parts of the season. It offers a great connection in, to Invasion of the Body Snatchers, where on the surface the aliens seem just like human beings, but there is something off about how they behave and communicate because they aren't human. And then when they get the chance, they will destroy and kill a human as fast as possible. And I, I really like how they have been increasing Eleven's powers in different ways. However, I would say the the reference of her being in that in between? black, the in-between, like that black world, which is like our friends call it the in-between. I don't think that's the official word. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where right. she's like it's inside a good, It's a mind. good name for it. Um, that's obviously kind of been ripped off from the horror movie Under the Skin. Yeah. Of all the references to movies and, and TV, I would say that one was the only one that's been bugged that's bugged me throughout the show is the Under the Skin black void room with the water on the ground and walking yeah. slowly in steps, stuff like that. Yeah, I would say me too because Under the Skin is an absolutely incredible horror film starring Scarlett Johansson. And that in-between area that's a major part of that film and i kind of i think i agree with you because it's not like it's a nod like a duplicating a shot like an e like an et uh of will running to the shed or of referencing close encounters when will goes to his the front door of his home and it's like a shot for shot of close encounters with the kid looking through his door those are i think great homages i love those to those movies uh, and also like like we just said, the mayor, the corrupt mayor in Hawkins, it's obviously a nod to Jaws, but it's not like it's a ripoff, really. It's just like, you know, showing the love of it. But I do kind of understand where you're coming from, where it's because it's such a major player in the entire series and with Ella's character and it has so much screen time. And it really is basically a duplicate of what um, was created in Under the Skin. And that was such a unique concept and great visual storytelling. I do, I do agree with you that I, I, that's the one reference that for me went a little too far with because of how often it's used. And I think because of how recent that movie came yeah. out. That movie came out 2013, 2014. Like right before the first season. And the show started in 2016. Yeah. So like the first time I saw it, it's obviously really cool, but I'm like, that's kind of a ripoff of Under the Skin. I think it's too recent of a movie to like reference like that. Mm-hmm. But I think maybe not a lot of people have seen it, but it's yeah, not no that one big, saw it. It's not that big of a deal. Yeah. But I just think Under the Skin is such a brilliant movie. Yeah. And it rubs me the wrong way. It's the only yeah. thing in the entire three four seasons so far in terms of references and homages that I've just been like, ah, maybe not that one. Because even when they make references and things in, in conflicts inspired by the other movies like Invasion of the Body Snatchers, it's not the same thing as Invasion of the Body Snatchers. It's just a similar idea. It's not approached the same way. It's not people in pods. It's not people being born out of these plants. Like, it's 
different, but it has a similar concept, but it's approached in a very different way. Whereas you could say, you know, under the skin and the in between and the Stranger Things is copy for copy. But overall, the concepts yeah. of this show are so fascinating and fun. The concept of the upside down is great. You know, in the first season, there's a quote of Dustin talking about what the upside down is because all the monsters and everything they're based off Dungeons and Dragons themes and concepts and characters and the, he says uh, the upside down or whatever dimension Dungeons and Dragons he's talking about it's the dimension that is a dark reflection or echo of our world it is a pale of decay and death it is right next to you and you don't even see it so I just love the concept of the upside down and how we still don't really completely know what it is is it hell is it not we don't really know how long has it been there the monsters are great obviously the Demogorgon is a fan favorite I think the con- the design of the Demogorgon is really interesting and so fun yeah. the mind flayer the, uh, the 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 physical form of the Mind Flayer and the shadow form of the Mind Flayer are really great. Vecna's been a great design. The Demodogs are great designs. I just think they've done a terrific job with their original concepts. And I love how the kids use the D&D names to name the villainous characters and monsters. I always think that's really fun. Yeah, even Vecna was it's a, na- a, a character from D&D. And you can tell that Netflix, they didn't, they didn't put, I mean, that much money into the first season because the CGI of the Demogorgon isn't quite there but it still works perfectly but then when you see like the cgi in season two is vastly improved they had a huge budget for season two and then especially in season three the cgi is really outstanding for television like it's perfect looking cgi so you can see how netflix when they saw how popular first season was they're like all right let's funnel some more money in there and get the the cgi up to a higher quality guess how much season one costs for the entire show for for the entire show i'm guessing 20 mil for the whole show seven mil seven mil Wow, now they're up to 30 million an episode. <laughs> That's crazy. It's pretty nuts. How, how well, the thing with gone. Netflix is they were like, and they still are, but they were just like throwing money at concepts and ideas and see what stuck. So they clearly had faith in the show to give it money, but like they didn't give it like the crown budget. The crown got a huge budget from season one. And so did House of Cards because you have great names behind it. You have David Fincher behind House of Cards. So you're obviously going to give them a lot of money. And then Stranger Things, giving them only $7 million to make, what is it, eight episodes? So mm-hmm. it's just over a million per episode. That's really not that much money when you're talking about uh, a show that is almost an hour long for each episode. So they really had to do what they could with a modest budget like that. So Netflix had some faith in this show, but not that much faith that it would be a huge success. If they knew it would be that big, they would have clearly given it more money. But then also you could say having too much money would have been a detriment to the storytelling and it might not have been this good of a show if the Duffer brothers were given everything they wanted. Yeah, they grounded the hell out of this story, which yeah. is great. And all every season has a great cliffhanger at the end of the show. So season one obviously ends after Eleven destroys the Demogorgon, but we think she fades away into the world, but she actually is just trapped inside the Upside Down. And at the police Christmas party, Hopper leaves some food for Eleven afterwards inside the forest and the woods and the egos are there so you know she's alive somewhere but also will even though he's got the mind flare even though he's escaped the upside down he was rescued by hopper and joyce he secretly coughs up that slug in the bathroom which is so gross then he has a vision of himself being back inside the upside down season two ends in similar fashion where they destroy the the army of monsters. They draw the mind flayer outside of Will. Eleven closes the gate, and she's back as a superhero. And we have that school dance, which is very cute. We get a couple Great first endings. kisses. Yeah. 
But then when we're outside of the school dance, the camera flips upside down and the upside down is still there. And the mind flare is just creepily watching all these kids dance around in the sky. (laughs) (laughs) And then season three, obviously the big battle at Star Court when the gate closes, uh, Hopper and Joyce blow up the laser beam that was keeping the gate open in the Russian laboratory. Hopper, we think, was destroyed in the blast. Um, Eleven loses her powers. The CIA finally shows up. Billy sacrifices himself to give them some more time for them to close the gate, which kills the Mind Flayer in the real world, and everyone gets killed. But is Hopper alive? Because we have that great scene of the Russian guards in the prison where they say, oh, no, not the American, and then they give some other yeah. prisoner to the Demogorgon, which they have at the Russian jail. Yeah, we knew he was alive. You can't kill, <laughs> you can't kill Hopper. And also, the end of season three, Jonathan will... Eleven and uh, Joyce are moving to California, yeah, and they're leaving their home, Cali, which is sad. Yeah, it was very sad. But also, Will and Eleven say, "I love you." They do. Very, very cute. Very cute. It's something that you. It was they were building to for for three seasons, so it was a great payoff. Their relationship uh, is finally came to like it's out in the open. They're together. It was really sweet. But the, the show also still has so many great sequences of horror. I think in season two, I love, like, the underground tunnel sequences. And I love when Steve is, like, now a part of the monster hunting crew. <laughs> I always think of Steve. And they have the glasses and the bandanas. And they're going in those tunnels. They're trying to buy some time for everybody by lighting that fire and drawing the demodogs away from the gate so that Eleven can close it. So I think... The Steve becoming like the world's best babysitter in season two is just <laughs> one of my favorite parts of that entire season. And just every season has unique forms of, of horror and elements and uh, goals and objectives that they have to achieve against the upside down. Yeah, and that's something the Duffers have always known, understood that, yes, this kids are most of the lead characters of this show, but that doesn't mean it's a kid's show. It's graphic, it can be pretty gruesome, and it can be very scary. And they do a terrific job with the thrills, with the scares. Um, and the monsters are always really fun. The deaths are always really good, and they've really amped it up in season four. But I think they've always done a great job. Like Bob's death, I think, was one of the most gruesome and devastating to see him get killed RIP. so ruthlessly by the demodogs. But I think that the Duffers have always understood that this is not a show for kids. This is a show of, this is a horror show. With great characters, some of them are young, but also great comedy and a backdrop of the 80s in that those themes and tones. But it still is a horror show. And I think I love how they've never really lost that idea in, in the tone of it. And they're so great at creating characters. There are countless characters. I mean, we even bring up Alexi and everyone loves Alexi yeah, yeah. who is working with the – he's a Russian who is working on the that laser guy. beam. He loves, yeah, he loves ICs and, and stuff like that. So many sequences of, or story arcs of Joyce and Hopper and the date that she doesn't show up to and he's just drinking the wine by himself and yeah. uh, the looks for season three versus the looks for season two. Yeah. yeah. I saw a great meme. The Hawaiian where, shirt on Where Hopper, like yeah. season three is like so colorful and, and bright and then season four is just so dark and dreary yeah, and moody. Yeah. And I think they do a great job of getting a different tone for every season, adapting to the age of the kids and making it more mature and progressing the story really effectively. So I think the Duffer brothers have done such a great job. We know that season five will be the final season. There will be a time jump. I'm pretty sure it's the final season. There'll be a time jump as well, which we don't know too much about, but we're assuming it'll go a couple of years in the future and see where people are at at that time because that'll be a great way to explain why all the kids are now 24 years old. Yeah. 
which they'll probably be around there because I think they're all like 20 now in yeah, that they're, area. They're going to be like eight, 19, 20, they're, 21. Yeah, in their late yeah. teens, early. Because they're, they're just believable as teens still. They're yeah. still... I mean, we've seen plenty of movies where 32-year-old yeah. dudes are playing <laughs> high school jocks. You know, yeah. it happens all the time. Yeah. You look like a high school jock right now. With the varsity jacket. Yeah. All you need is some makeup and some good lighting and the right yeah, yeah. wardrobe. You can look a lot younger. Yeah, I mean, if you put an adult in like a kid's outfit, they'll look younger. Yeah, yeah. yeah. For sure. But there's sometimes some wrinkles on camera. You're like, what's going on? He's <laughs> <laughs> got crow's feet already? <laughs> in biology 101? But a stressed out kid. Love this show so, so much. We are very excited for volume two of season four to drop we are doing episodes on volume one very soon and It'll also be yeah our, so our volume one episode will be on monday and we're also going to talk about our theories for the second volume and it's uh, i'm i love the season a lot i think it's great and i can't wait to chat about it and then for volume two we'll be making an episode like a day or two after it airs yeah because those the two episodes volume two's are going to be over two hours long. One of them is two and a half hours long. One yeah. of them is about an hour and a half. Okay, so that's it's a long. So we we need still, to get, give people time to watch it before we yeah, review it. Yeah, still four yeah. hours of content yeah. to watch because we don't want to spoil it for people who haven't seen it. Exactly. So that's we know what, a lot of people have jobs and they can't stay up till midnight. To, yeah. they can't stay up till four a.m. to watch Stranger Things. Yeah, so because it's a Thursday night when it airs. Yeah, absolutely. at midnight. Yeah, so we're really looking forward to seeing it. And I can't wait for you all to not just listen to this episode, but to also listen to our volume one of season four on Monday. You got anything else to talk about? No, I'm pretty solid. Uh, yeah, because I, no, I don't want to get into theories for season five. I mean, for season four, I want to save it for the next episode. And I know we, we missed out on a lot of stuff. There's so many things that happen in this, yeah, yeah, in this yeah. show for three seasons. Yeah. But obviously, Owen... Dr. Owen is like a, a main player now, and he shows up in season three at the end. And they obviously the CIM comes to cover everything up and pretend like no one died and nothing happened. But I'm very excited for to see where the story's going in the future. Likewise, this is a extremely popular show for a very good reason. The Duffer Brothers tapped into the zeitgeist in an impressive way, and I'm really happy with where the show is going. And recently, this past week, we were on a Stranger Things podcast called Streaming Things. You can find them on all audio platforms, so go listen to that and check yeah. us out talking yeah. about theories going forward. And I believe they post an episode on every Stranger Things episode. Yeah, yeah. and every Monday, I yeah. think, as well. Uh, thanks for tuning in, everybody, to the Stranger Things episode of Raiders of the Lost podcast. So much more coming for you from Hawkins, so stay tuned. Take care, y'all. This episode of Raiders of the Lost podcast has been executive produced through Patreon by our amazing Chosen One Tier patrons Cody Moen, Calvin Cam, John A. Graz, Lauren Smertz, and Tyler McFly. Thank you so much for being executive producers through Patreon for our show. We appreciate you all so much. Raiders of the Lost podcast is a Mirror Image production. Sound mixing done by Jacob Kosler. Opening music by Chase Jackson.